Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Well, we're on a series right now called Connected. And we've been talking about these seven vital connections that are critical to our life, to our plan and to our purpose. And it's just like any kind of recipe. If you get all of the right ingredients into a excuse me, specific bowl and you mix that up, you usually can have a fairly decent thing that you eat. It's a lot like our lives in the sense that you got to have all the right ingredients in your life in order for you to function properly. And you'll find that a lot of times whenever things start to fall apart in your life, it's because something's missing. Or it's because maybe there's a component that God wants in your life you don't have in your life. And God will do whatever it takes to help you realize that you need to get that connection back in your life. And so we've been talking about these seven vital connections. And we're, we've been uh, going through each of them uh, individually to talk about what they mean to us personally as a Christian and how they might help us to live a better life. And so those seven connections are this. We have the Christ connection, and we talked a little bit about the whole area of having an intimate personal relationship with Jesus and how important it was not just to believe in him or to occasionally pray to him or to read about him, but that we have a life-giving, vibrant, healthy, daily, intimate relationship with Jesus. And you'll find that everything in life flows out of that relationship. It's where you get your peace and where you get your joy and where you get your hope and where you get your confidence and where you get your security. It's found in him. And so we talked a lot about that. The second thing that we talked about was the whole area of church and the importance that church plays in our life, which we'll be talking more about that today. The third thing that we talked about was this whole area of relationship. And we live in a relationally starved society. Most people today live fairly lonely. In fact, we learned last week that America was labeled as the loneliest place on earth. We have a lot of shallow relationships, few deep relationships. And what we desperately need is to find out how this relationship thing works in our life and to make sure that we really connect with that. Today, we're going to talk about the purpose connection, which really encapsulates all of the first three together as one. And we're going to talk about purpose today. And then the rest of the series, we'll go through and talk about the leadership connection and the Holy Spirit connection and the power connection. But uh, we want to stop and park on this whole idea of purpose. And we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians really is the purpose book. It's a purpose-driven book. It's a epistle that deals with the church. It deals with why you and I are here on planet earth, what God had to do with creation, why he even started this whole thing called humanity. It's all found in the book of Ephesians. It's written by a guy named Paul who had some very, very key revelation in this area. And I want to look at four scriptures just as we start this morning. And I want you to apply them to your life because there's these four basic thoughts or these big ideas in each one of these scriptures that should be operating in your life, which really make up the purpose connection. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 through 9, I'm going to go ahead and read this. It'll be on the screen for your convenience as well. It says this, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches, I love that word, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I thank God that I'm saved. I thank God that Jesus, someone should just say amen right there. Come on. I thank God that Jesus went to the cross and loved me so much and died for me so that I could have a second chance at life. And it says that he lavished upon us his rich and abundant grace upon our life. Not so that we could live just some kind of average life, but that so that you and I could live an abundant life. And regardless of what your past looked like or how grotesque your sin may have been, God says that he forgives those and he wipes them clean so that we can live free in him. Come on, we are free indeed if we know the truth. And so God comes along and he saves us. But it's important to understand that that's not the end of our relationship with Jesus. You didn't just start a relationship with Jesus to go to heaven. You weren't just saved for something, excuse me, from something. You were saved for something. And if you look at the rest of this particular verse, it says this. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasures, which is purposed in Christ. So it wasn't enough just to be saved, but he wanted to give you a sneak preview of what he was doing on planet earth. He wants us to understand that from the beginning of the ages to the end of time, there is this plan that he has. And because you have given your life to Christ, he has pulled the veil off your eyes. He's put the Holy Spirit in your life. And now you have this firsthand revelation to understand and discern what God is doing on planet Earth. Thank God. Because as we look to his word, we find out that he's in complete control, by the way. Despite what you see around him, his plans are sure and clear in this word. And so he unveils to us the mystery of his will. But you've got to want it. And you've got to look for it. and You've got to discern it. He wants us to pursue that. He wants us to find out what he's holding in his hands. Now, yesterday, I was at my um, grandson's birthday party. Devin just turned five years old, and I have a six-year-old, five-year-old, and three-and-a-half-year-old. And I wanted to give him some money. So I put money in my hand, and I closed it real tight. And I walked up to Devin. I said, hey, buddy, Papa's got something for you. And he looks at it, and he goes, what you got, Papa, a frog? Because we got frogs in a little pond in the back, and he always thinks we have, if you go like this, that means there's a frog. I said, no, it's not a frog. He goes, well, what is it? I said, well... You got to guess. He says, well, is it candy, Papa? I said, no, it's not candy either. And so I started to open it just enough to irritate him, you know. And he wanted to look in there and started prying. And Ty came running up and Isaac, and they're trying to look. And finally, I opened it just wide enough where he could see the green of the dollar. And he goes, oh, yeah, money. (laughs) And I was thinking about that. And, you know, that's kind of like what God wants us to be regarding his will. You shouldn't just be coming to church because it's the thing that you do on the weekend to blow in, blow up, blow out, do your little 90-minute quota. There's something that is so much larger. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to kind of peek open and start looking at it and say, oh, no, oh, my gosh, that's cool. Come on, purpose. So here's the mystery of his will. But it even gets better than that. It's not just that you're saved. And it's not just that God's doing this great thing. The next scripture in chapter 1, verse 11 says this. And he also chose you. 
that you were chosen having been predestined according to the plan. So not only are you saved, and not only does God have this great plan, but he says, you know what? You get to be a part of it. You don't have to spectate. You get to participate. And you get to be a part of this unfolding, incredible plan of God. It gets better. And it says in this, in in verse 22 and 23, it says, And then God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Would you say the word church? He's letting us know that the ultimate final existing plan of God is the church. Jesus head, we be the body, we're connected, and together we work in this divine partnership to fulfill the purposes of God. It really boils down to this. He created you to know him and make him known, period. That's why you're here sucking air on planet earth. It's not your job. It's not to have a cute little yard or all those things. He created you to be connected to him and together this divine partnership called the church, the body of Christ, the people. We work together in order to make sure that we make it hard for people to go to hell. And we let them know about Jesus and we help the hurting and the broken and the destitute. And we live life beyond ourselves. We be the church. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not an institution. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Now we come to this building and we call it church, but that isn't what it is. It's us understanding that we're connected to God, we're connected together, and that all of us are moving forward in order to extend his purposes and his plan. And if you're disconnected from that reality, it's probably why you deal with some form of frustration in your life or some form of emptiness in your life. And so he goes on to say this in Ephesians 2. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. When it's all said and done and you put all these together, you were created by him and for him. Your life is not your own. Now we think it is and somehow we just think that we're doing good because we give God a little bit of time and it's just shallow in thinking. We were created by him and for him to do his will, not our will what the cross is all about, the crossing of our will and his will. And if you can just get the big idea this morning, if you put all those four scriptures together, it really boils down to this. And I want you to read this purpose connection with me. If you get anything out of this morning, get this one big idea. Read it with me, please. Even before time began, God has had a purpose. His purpose is the church. I have been redeemed and set into God's church so that I would fulfill his purposes through my life. It is the primary reason for my existence. Read that last line, please. It is the primary reason for my existence. And so when we think about this thing called purpose, it's one of these popular buzzwords. You know, society's talking a lot about it because I believe that people are pretty empty today. 
There's a lot of loneliness, a lot of aimless living, a lot of purposeless life. But when you sum up all the different terms in the Bible, it really comes to this one thought, defining purpose, is a deliberate intention. It's deliberate, it's strategic, it's well planned out, it's formulated, and there's an intent behind that particular thing. Webster's goes on and says this, it's the object towards which one strives. Now, I don't know what you strive for in your life. But if you just stop for a moment and think about where you spend your time or your money, not on the have-tos like work or some of those things, but when it all comes down to if you could do one thing with your time, what would you do? Golf? Play on the computer? Go hang out at the beach? There might be purpose in that like brain, uh, you know, burning brain cells, but it's not true purpose. It says the object for which one strives. And so what is it that we strive for? What is it that consumes our thoughts and our minds and our passions and our moments? And you got to get real, real here right now. Because if it isn't the kingdom of God, there needs to be some kind of adjustment. There really does. That doesn't mean that you can't have family and a good time or go to the beach or go golf. But the reality is that there needs to be some kind of overriding passion in your life to do something that has eternal significance attached. That when you put your head on your pillow, you can look back at your day and say, you know what? That wasn't a waste. Another definition says this, the reason for which something exists, the reason why you exist is to do his will. And the only way that you're really going to find true fulfillment in life is to discover the reason why you were created and give your life to it. Anything short will bring frustration. I wish that was different, but that's the reality. When you gave your life to Christ, you became a dead man. The Bible says it's no longer I who live, that means you be dead, but Christ who lives in me. Another scripture says that you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Now, either he meant that or he didn't mean that. But we live in this purposeless society today. We have people spending more time on things than ever, more money on things. We're busier than ever. We're living in this information technology age where you get five. I did the Facebook thing, I think, by mistake, and it was my birthday yesterday, and I got like 150 uh, texts from people telling me happy birthday. I mean, just, okay, happy birthday, happy birthday. I mean, we live, there's all these communication pieces. But, you know, at the end of it, it's so shallow from the most part in regards to where people live. And, you know, you don't have to go very far on the internet internet to see, it should be called internet, on the internet to find out that there's a lot of people today that are spending so much time doing purposeless, stupid stuff. You just got to go to YouTube for a couple minutes and just go through and watch all of these clowns that are swan diving 80 feet off of stadiums into people and they're, they're um, running and jumping off cliffs and swan diving from 100 feet onto water. And you just go, what's the point? It's all about the clicks, the hit. Tick, tick, tick. I got 100,000 people on my head. Tick, 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 tick. And somehow that brings purpose. You really, really want to see something funny. Go to darwinawards.com. It is the epitome of stupidness. And here's all these people that do all these crazy things and spend all their life doing something. And it comes down to the question, what is the point? 
But my favorite one's a guy named John Smith. They call him Winter. And on his website, he says this, the goal of his life is to visit every Starbucks on the planet. He's 32 years old. He works just enough to contribute to his caffeine addiction. He has no air conditioning, sleeps in his car, smells like stale coffee, and drives all over the country, gets on planes, flies so that he can say that he's gone to all these different Starbucks. He's now, as of yesterday, he's gone to 8,157 in America. That's 97.4%. Way to go, John. He's done 661 internationally. At the end of the day, he's still going to have a real challenge because Starbucks starts about 10 to 15 of them every day. But you know, if I was having a conversation with him, I'd just stop and at least ask the question. Again, it's his own life and he can do whatever he wants. But I'd just at least say, why? I mean, his tombstone reads, drank stale coffee, shook, and died. I mean, at the end of his life, when it's all said and done, as he goes to sleep in the back seat of his Ford Falcon, I mean, does it really, really satisfy? And if we're not careful, guys, this purposeless living can permeate our lives in the church. And all of a sudden, we begin to think somehow, some way that life's too busy for God, life's too busy to serve, life's too busy to give. And we get this mentality that we come to church to get. We don't come to church to give. First of all, we are the church, so we don't come. But we have this mentality that we're coming to something, and it's all about me. It's all about me. And you can hear it. Wow, you know, that preacher wasn't that good today. really didn't feed me. I'm going to go try another church. As if it's about you. Now, I understand we come to get fed, and I understand that we come to gather together and to celebrate, but we don't come to get, we come to give. To live life beyond ourselves. There's people all around you, and we did it during worship and stuff. We prayed for people. There's people that are hurting and broken, and you have within you the power, the aptitude, the ability, the prayer, whatever, to touch their lives. And maybe it isn't about you getting something, maybe it's about you contributing something. But when we look at our stats and stuff, we see that 80% of the work in church is done by 20% of the people. That doesn't sound like purpose driven church to me. Or 20% of the people give 80% of the money and a lot of people don't even tithe. Now that's between you and God, but it comes back to saying, really, really, do I understand this thing called purpose? Because you can really measure that by where you spend your time or where you spend your money. And so I want to talk about this whole concept of purpose and look at God's purpose and see what God has to say about purpose. God's purpose in you. First of all, we need to understand that true purpose is God-initiated. It's God-centered. It's God-focused. In other words, we don't create purpose. We respond to it. Now, you might be able to have some form or purpose in regards to a natural function or job. So there is purpose in those. But when I talk about eternal purpose, when I talk about the reason why you exist, that isn't something that you create. You don't get out a whiteboard and draw your own life. It's God initiated. 
And I read an interesting post on a blog that talked about this, and I thought it was very masterful in the which it was displayed on this blog. And this guy says this. He says, we must ask ourselves a few questions pertaining to our purpose. Who is it that decides what the purpose of a thing is? In other words, who decides why you're here? Do you decide? We don't have anything to do with it. It's just not like, well, you know, I think I want to be born, bang, and here I am. You didn't have anything to do with it. He goes on to say this. He says, does a boat decide on its own purpose or is it the builder of that boat who already decided before it was created? Which came first, the boat itself or its intended purpose? The intent came before the creation. When God started this whole thing and he decided to have relationship with God, with people... He had something in mind before you and I were created, even before humanity was created. In Ephesians, it says, long, long ago before the foundations of the world, he had you in mind as the focus of his love. So before even humanity sprung forth, he had this idea, and together we would have relationship with him, we would glorify him, and together we would fill the whole earth with his glory. And somewhere along the line, we missed that. It's God-initiated. Second, God's purpose is clear. From even the beginning, it's been unchanging, unwavering. He's never second-guessed it. He's not overwhelmed or confused with the things that are going on. He has an everlasting, unchanging purpose. He had it all mapped out before it even started. The third thing is this, is that God's purpose is the church. His church, Christ is the head, we be in the body, representing the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. It was his only plan. It was his final plan. It's the central fact to his will. The church is not a peripheral to the world. In other words, we don't revolve around the world. The world revolves around God's purpose, the church. Now, that's a huge statement to make. But from the very beginning, God designed this plan called the church that you and I are part of to fulfill the purposes of God. So God's purpose is the church. Also, God's purpose is his people. The church is the people. Every single one of us here, you're not here by accident. God brought you here, placed you into this family, not just because you like the worship or you think the building's cooler because I can get a free cinnamon roll today. It's because you are a part of this cosmic plan that started way back when, and he looks at all of humanity, drops in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and children of Israel, and there comes Jesus and Peter and Paul and all these people, and finally comes around to 2008 and says, Mark Jones. He's going to go ahead and do it. He's going to help me to move this thing forward. The people of the past can no longer do it. The future people cannot do it. But right now, in order to keep this thing connected, I need God's people to understand their purpose and to grab a hold of it and to do something with it. I thank God someone did that for me. But here's the challenge is that we listen to the world, we listen to the devil, we listen to our flesh. 
And we begin to second guess really who we are. And probably, as I talk with Christians all the time, most of the challenges that people face today regarding purpose are internal in nature. It's around insecurities, wrong thoughts, wrong ideas, wrong emotions, mistakes, regrets, things that you've done in the past, low self-esteem, whatever it might be, you throw that all into one ball, and all of a sudden you begin to second guess. You say, you know what, I think that bald head guy is saying is true, but I just don't think it applies to me. And there's four major categories, and I see it across the board all the time. These are four main areas where people struggle regarding purpose. The first one is this, I am chosen. Now, intellectually or principally, you might agree with that statement. But you know, the reality is, do you really live it? Is it a conviction of yours? Do you really feel that you're chosen? Now, the word chosen, again, it can come across in a variety of ways. If I got a bunch of people lined up against the wall, we're playing softball and we're each captains picking different people and we come down to the last person, you go, okay, I'll, I'll take you, I choose you. I guess that applies. But when you look at the word of God, it implies that you're a first round draft pick. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says that God chose you out of all the people in the world as his cherished personal treasure. That means that you're priceless. It means that it's very intimate and personal and it's cherished. That when God looks at you, he says, you know what? You are my first pick. Now you might be saying today, you know, I really don't feel like that, Mark. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel or how you don't feel. It's a fact. You can't change the fact that that's reality. God looks down upon you. It says that he decided to adopt this into his family, that we were chosen, that we were predestined according to his plan. You are not second rate. You are not average. You are not insignificant. Come on. You've got to settle today in your mind that you are chosen in God's first round draft pick. Stop listening to the lies. Go to the word and say, man, I guess that's true. He must be talking about me. Must say it with me. Say, I'm chosen. Must say it with some conviction. I'm chosen. Fine, you're chosen. The second thing is this, is that you're special. In God's eyes, you're really, really special. You're cherished. You're a chosen vessel. He looks down upon you and he sees beauty. You're pretty special in his eyes. You're not an accident. You're not insignificant. You're not average. In Psalms 139, it's David and he puts together this beautiful poetic psalm. And he's talking about how he was wonderfully and marvelously made. And he goes, oh, my inward parts and how all these things work together. And he finally comes to this one plate and he goes, wow. It says this in the Message Bible. What a creation. He's talking about himself. Now, if there were mirrors in those days, I don't know. He's probably looking at a mirror and going, oh, I am hot. (laughs) He's looking at this going, man, this is awesome. All this stuff, man, man, I'm special. We live in this world today that we measure success or importance by who's on some 
sleaze magazine or something in the grocery store, who's on a media or some kind of movie. Listen, their lives are all falling apart. I don't want to be like them. They're not my measuring rod. I remember walking into a jewelry store in New York City. I was back there speaking and went into this jewelry store and on the back wall were all these famous people. There's Madonna and there's Cher and there's George Clooney and there's Tom Cruise and all these people. And I had this this probably dumb thought, but I thought, you know what? I should be on that wall. You know, I thought about it. I asked the lady behind the counter. I said, ma'am, what what are all these pictures for? And she says, well, when famous people come into my store, I get out my camera and I take a picture to let everyone else know that they came in. And I said, well, where's your camera? And she says, well, why do I need my camera? I said, to take a picture of me. And she says, well, who are you? I said, no, the question is, who are they? I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir of Christ. I'm part owners of the kingdom of God. She's saying, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. I didn't want to be on her wall. I just had a little fun moment with me and God and felt probably pretty important, you know. After all, I'm kind of a big deal, you know. Come on, we're special. Here's the third one. I'm unique. Why don't you nudge the person next to you, unless it's your husband or wife, and say, you are one of the strangest birds I've ever met in my life. Say, you know, you're a strange bird. It's true. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. There's no one on planet Earth like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. And when you think about that, God did that because you have a plan that only you can fulfill. Now, listen to me. Most people spend their whole life trying to be like someone else. And you know what happens? It breeds deep-seated frustration and insecurity because you can never be them. And you've got to take your focus off trying to be them and spend your time on trying to be you. God doesn't make junk. God didn't make, he didn't make your mold and go, whoops, oh, let's throw that mold away. He, he knew what he was doing. I remember when I came to this church 13 years ago, um, and it's a pretty big deal. This church is bigger than life all over the world. I mean, Pastor Frank DiMazio has written probably 60 books, known all over the world. Whenever I travel with him, and he's a, he's a big deal. And Jack Loman and Ken Malman, I remember coming here and seeing Ken Malman, the dean of Portland Bible College. Oh, oh, I I mean, I was, and I was going to be a part of this thing. And Robert Jameson and Doug Lassett, and I mean, all these great men of God. And I'm thinking, I'm a high school dropout. I come here and I'm thinking, okay, hi, reporting for duty. And man, I, I spent so much wasted time trying to be like them. And I just felt so insecure and intimidated because of it. I remember I made a decision once. I said, you know what? I'm going to watch Frank. I'm going to watch the way he operates, how he talks, how he speaks. And I made this decision one day. I said, you know what? I want to be like Frank. And so I remember, you know, doing those particular time and 
I thought, you know, I'm just going to watch everything that he does. And Please. Down, 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 please. By the way, Taka, monitors down, please, monitors down. Get the monitors down a little loud for me here, please. Got your Bibles, put them right about here. We're going to pray a Bible prayer. We are City Bible Church. We believe in the Bible. Now, I want you to pray in the same volume that you sing. Okay. And you know what I realized after a while? I'm not smart enough. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I'm not quick enough. I can never be like Frank Damasio. He is one incredible man of God. I said, you know what? If I try to measure my life against him, I'll live a life of frustration. So I thought, well, who else is there to be like? And I thought, you know, I'm going to be like Jack. Listen, a small refinements of a good thing make it great. Amen. Think of it. Think of it. Think of it. Think of it. Hey, 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 let's just wait on it. Let's not get in a hurry. Let's not get in a hurry. Can you say hurry? Come on, say hurry, everybody. Say hurry. I want to pray. Come on. No gaps, no cracks. Say cracks, everybody. Come on. Cracks, cracks, cracks. Say cracks. I thought, you know. I will never be like Jack. Although... Honestly, I wish I could. Jack is one of the most anointed, most incredible men of God I've ever met. He's our resident Holy Spirit. He prays better, prophesies better. He knows stuff that even God doesn't know. I mean, the guy is just in tune. So I thought, well, maybe I can be like uh, someone else. I thought, I want to be like Doug. Now, Doug, I know you're here this morning and I should probably have you come up here because. All right, generation. Amen. Generation. Come on, we're all world changers. Amen. 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 I think I love you. I think I love you. Pastor Doug sitting over here. And you know what? It came down to another reality. I could never be Doug. I can't be cool enough, relevant enough. He's one incredible preacher. He's going to go start an incredible church that's going to touch thousands of people. And you know what? I can never be like him. And it came down to this one reality. I'm supposed to be me. Supposed to be me. 
I challenge you today, get stuck on being you. Don't try to be someone else. Every time that you begin to think that you're a nobody, you begin to question God's creation. God, you didn't do good enough. So, you know, I like being me. I like my bald head. I love this chiseled body of mine. My 12-pack. Come on. I, I enjoy who God made me. And I realize this. That's not funny. It really is a 12-pack. I realize this, guys. If I try to be someone else, this church would miss out because there's only one thing that I can do here, and hopefully I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear people saying, you know what, you're so amazing in that one area. You know, we couldn't do it without you. And you, you kind of humble yourself, but you realize, you know what, it's probably because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You guys find out Find out how God made you and settle it today and be happy about it. Be excited about it. Go on a self-discovery. <laughs> I like me. The fourth one's this. I have a purpose. Everything that I've said so far can be boiled down into this one area is purpose. Jeremiah said this. He said, The plans that God has for you, they are good and not evil. He says, the plans that I have for you is to give you a future and to give you a hope. In Psalms 40, David says this, if I could even try to figure out all the wondrous things God had for me, they would be too numerous to mention. I don't want to waste a day. I want to wake up and find what my purpose is for this day. It isn't this distant one thing that I'm running to. It's an everyday thing. I wake up. I ask God to use me today. I have my my eyes focused on his kingdom. I'm in love with God. I'm trying to have a pure thought life and read his word and touch people's lives. So when I put my head on my pillow at night and drool, I can look back and say, now that was a great day. I touched lives and helped people and prayed and was a light to the world and a salt to the earth. I have a purpose every day. Champions aren't built in a day, but they're built daily. So if I can sum all this up here in just the few minutes that we have together, I want to read five proclamations. These are statements. You can write them down or you can get the tape or whatever, but I would encourage you to recite these during your prayer times. They're, they're, prayer confessions. They're something that you can look back at and say, you know what? When you're feeling a little discouraged or you're feeling a little aimless, you can go back and you can make these your five prayer points for that morning. As Mark Jones would say, more prayer is better than less prayer, right? (laughs) Let's look at these five together. First one is this, is that I, would you say it with me, please? I resolve that God's purposes will not fail. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't care what your circumstances look like, God will prevail. I don't care what the economy looks like. 
and which way the arrow is pointing, God's purposes will not fail. I don't care who gets voted in as president. And again, I do care. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change his purposes because his purposes will prevail. I don't know about you, but I like finding out what happens. And I read the back of the book and it says, we win. We win. His purposes will not prevail. The second proclamation that I think would be a great thing to recite is this. I resolve that I'm a part of his unfailing purpose. Philippians, the same guy that wrote Ephesians, which we read about earlier, Paul, he writes this to the Philippians. He says, be confident of this. In other words, be rest assured. Don't be double-minded. He says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of our Lord Jesus. In other words, when Jesus comes back, God will work on you every day and he will begin to challenge you and mold you and because he will have his purposes in your life fulfilled. So we've got to believe that, that I resolve that his purposes in my life will not fail. The third one is this. And why don't you say it with me, please? Come on. I will discover how God uniquely made me. Spend time finding out how God made you. Every single one of us are unique. You have passions and dreams, talents and gifts, your personal makeup, your life experience. All of those paint your tapestry that are unlike any other person. They're not by accident. God made and shaped and molded you because there is something for you to do. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that you were made this way because, and he's placed you, he says, each part as he pleased. You're uniquely made. The fourth one is this. I will find a place to get connected. All joking aside, this whole message really comes down to this statement. If everything that I've said does not result in you changing from a place of spectating to participating, it was in vain. You got to understand that time is short. God's placed you here on planet earth for a reason. And he wants you to be a part of the greatest movement on planet earth. God is in a hurry. There are people all over this city that desperately need God. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are homeless. There are people that are lonely. There are people that are committing suicide. They're all around us. And God needs us as a church to impact our city. And the only way that we're ever going to fulfill vision here is with you. You're a part. The reason why you're here, it's not an accident. God brought you here to get involved and to be a part and take some ownership. Give of your time and your energy and your money and your sweat and your tears and get involved and go elbow to elbow with your brother and sister and be a part of one of the greatest and coolest churches in this city. There's a connection center on every campus and we have these ministry profile cards. There are hundreds of them. We desperately need an IT guy. We've been putting in the bulletin for weeks. I know you're out there. But we need you. How can we do this? How can we touch the city without you? 
And there's a spot that's evident. We say, we need you right here. ESL and international ministries and children's ministries and youth ministries and feeding the homeless and our food ministries. And it goes down the line, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of needs. And God's just saying, I'm waiting. You have a purpose. And so again, no condemnation, but I want to challenge you today. This whole series about being connected I really believe that God is doing something very significant when you look around us and we see what's happening in our culture and in our society. God is shaking things and people are coming by the the hundreds to say, I need help. And it's not an opportunity for us to worry. It's a time for us to have faith to say, we've been praying for this time for a long, long time. Bring them our way. We need to get connected. And then the fifth thing is this. And settle the score. Say it with me right now. I will fulfill my purpose. When it's all said and done, we've got to come to the place where we say, I'm going to fulfill my purpose.